Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. John. It's the most reading I've had to do in weeks. Today's scripture comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if uh, anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated, that includes you, Zach, but don't go far, because we're going to bring you back up here in a second. So, um, we don't very often lose staff members around here. I mean, Zach, you've been here, what, seven and a half years or so? So, when this sort of thing uh, happens, we um, are kind of not sure what to do. So, are we good? Are we good upstairs yet? Okay, there we go. So, Zach has done the, the uh, meet and greet, the congregational greeting. He's done the, uh, the uh, call to worship. We had him read scripture. We asked him to do his own farewell video. He refused. So, uh, we actually uh, were left to do it on our own. And I can say this about the video you're about to see. It was done with great passion, but not great precision. Uh, and so, we have this to show everyone now. As long as I shall live, I will tell 
Thank you so much for lending us your imagination. And thanks for pastoring our youngest so well. Welcome to the laity. We love you. Hi, Zach. Just want to say how thankful and grateful we are for all that you've done uh, for our church community. Uh, and we love you in that. Remember, you'll always be the Red Falcon to us. <laughs> hey, Zach. Guess you won't be around as much. At least the church will smell a little better. Oh, Zach, how I appreciate you. Your willingness to learn and do what was needed all speaks to your servant heart. You have touched our family in long-lasting ways. Thank you. Dude, you have quite literally changed my life and your time at OKC First. So, Zach, I, I cannot thank you enough for it. And I want you to know that you are an incredible human being and to stay top to your creative, and I wish you all the best going forward. Zach, you've made such an impact on this place and we're so grateful for you, your leadership, mentorship, but most importantly, your friendship. Thanks so much for all you do and we're so glad you're gonna be sticking around. If there was anything good that came out of COVID, it was that I got to know Zach Lucero. And we it was an absolute joy to get to know him with shooting all of those pre-recorded services. And we just absolutely love you, bud. You're just the best. Zach, that, Zach, this is John. We will miss you around here. We uh, have come to, you've spoiled us a little bit. You've, you've spoiled us a little bit about uh, the quality of, of the work that you do, but also your ability to tell a story. You will be desperately, desperately missed. Sorry. All right, love you, buddy. What do you mean the Broncos aren't playing? What's the point? Hey, Zach, uh, I just wanted to tell you, uh, not only did you meet with Lori at the coffee shop, but you baptized Elliot. You gave me an impromptu guitar lesson. You've been a really good friend and, and you've really changed our family. Um, we appreciate you more than you could possibly know. Uh, so much so 
that um, I hope you don't mind. I wrote you a song. Uh, so hang on. This is this is some of my best work, Yiddy. Oh, Zachary! Love you, Zach. We love you, Zach. Love you, Zach. Zach, we love you, and I appreciate you so much. We love you, Zach. We love you, Zach. We love you, Zach. We love you, Zach. Zach, we love you. We love you, Zach. We love you, Zach. We love you, Zach. We love you, Zach. Zach, we love you. Miss you in the satisfaction. Bye, bye, little Sebastian. You're 5,000 candles in the wind. Everybody sing it now. Bye, bye, little Sebastian. Miss you in the satisfaction. Someday we'll saddle up again And I know I'll always miss my horsey's friend Spread your wings and fly Spread your wings and fly That's incredible. <laughs> Those are for the baby. Are you sure? <laughs> uh, no notes on that. That was perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, maybe a little shorter, but <laughs> way too much of me. Um, by the way, uh, <laughs> singing that song was like a top three moment on stage for me. <laughs> Literally the best. Um, oh my goodness. What do you even say? Um, thank you. Thank you for Thank you for raising me. I came here. God, dang it. <laughs> Hold on. So Hold on. We can edit that out. <laughs> uh, I came here, and I was just a kid. I think I was 23 or 24 um, when I came on staff. And I didn't know anything. And I had people in my life who challenged me. I had people in my life who invested in me. Um, not just the pastoral staff, but people out here. Everybody here raised me. And I can't, I just can't take credit for anything without saying that first, that without, without the love and support that we get all the time from this place, couldn't do what we do. I couldn't do what I do. Um, and 
I, the only thing I want to say, because I've been trying to think about like what, would I, what, what kind of thing would I want to leave with, and it's maybe the most obvious one, um, if you know me, is that all I want to say is just don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Don't be afraid to lean in and maybe cry a little. Um, men can cry, I promise. Um, it's actually great. You should try it. Um, be vulnerable because it's in that vulnerability where your heart changes. It's in that vulnerability where you can, if you're not careful, your life changes. Um, and my life has forever changed because of this place and because I decided to be vulnerable and let it change me. Um, and so, yeah, I love you all and Natalie loves you too. Um, and I don't think she wants to say words. So we're going to leave it at that. So yeah, we can do a picture, but thank you so much. Take it with you? No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was different. So thank you for your visiting with us today. We don't often do that. Uh, but thank you. Thank you for all of you who contributed to that. And then thank you, Zach, which doesn't seem like it's quite enough, but we will have other ways uh, to say thank you in weeks. And, and again, the good news is that they're, they're not leaving um, anything but the professional paid staff. I mean, they'll, they'll be around and uh, we'll be able to help raise their child. Uh, little Jonathan Carl, I think, it was his name. <laughs> be able to help raise little Jonathan Carl here with you. Okay, everybody, can we pivot? Can we pivot? Um, Today's passage of Scripture, and Zach's already read the verses, uh, there are a couple of dangers with these verses as we've read them. And you've heard them before, and that's part of the danger, that you've heard them before, turning the other cheek, right? Giving to the person who is suing you and, and going the second mile. Here, here's one of the dangers, is that you will not take it seriously. One of the dangers is that you will listen to that and you will say, well, of course Jesus would say those things. Of course, Jesus had the capacity uh, to do these things. That's one of the dangers. The, the other danger is that we won't recognize the deeper thing that's going on as you are turning the other cheek, as you are giving to the one who would sue you or walking the second mile. There's a deeper thing going on there that is representative of the larger thing that God wants to do in and through God's people and we've used this language, right? So hopefully I'm, I'm reminding you of something. God understands us as an outbreak of eternity. We, as the people of God, are colonists. And we are hopefully colonizing the rest of creation toward God's dream for all of it. Remember, God does not want to destroy creation that God has already called good, 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 and very good. What God wants to do is finish the job. And we are one of the means whereby God would move everything toward that finishing, completion, whole sort of moment. What we are reading today, these are brilliant, and hopefully you'll agree with me, but what we're reading today, these verses, again, so familiar to us, hopefully I'll be able to articulate these in, in such a way that you'll understand these as brilliant ways to do the above. Brilliant ways to help move everything toward this place where 
everything is organized by love. Now, not a sentimental kind of love that, that is bound up in, in stuffed animals. I mean the kind of love that makes a life, that heals and transforms and restores and redeems. What might life look like? What might life look like if a group of people could actually be organized by love that we see demonstrated best in the person of Christ? Well, that question is answered here. We are the first evidence of what that kind of life might look like. Make some sense? But there is also this deep understanding that, that life is still broken, that there are a lot of broken places out there, and so this calling to be a different kind of people, organized and, and animated by love, it is going to be difficult because we're gonna come up against these opposing forces, these opposing voices. So what is it gonna look like when we come up against the resistance? What does love look like when it is resisted? Well, it, this is one picture of it. Now, you may not know what this is. If you don't, I am happy to tell you. This is a picture of the cat's sit-in so many decades ago, the cat's sit-in. These are kids who have been trained by Clara Luper and Martin Luther King Jr. Trained. Trained to faithfully, politely even, but strongly resist. They were not served at this counter, at the cat's drive-in. Not only were they not served, there were moments when people would put their hands on these kids, and some of them were kids' kids. Some were junior high or high school students, and some were college students, but some were kids. And there were moments when, here in Oklahoma City and across the country, angry people would put their hands on them and try to knock them off the stools. It did happen. And you want to know what those kids did? They got back up on those stools. They got back up on those stools because once you pop one of these beautiful kids on the back of the head, it says more about you than it does the kid. I mean, once you take a posture of hatefulness against these kids, it reveals something, not only, not only about the uh, perpetrator, let's say, but it reveals something about all of society. And that which is revealed about all of society is the place, ready for this? It is the place where the people of God are supposed to march in and make a difference animated and organized by love. Does that make sense? I mean, if, if you are new, you don't know this yet. If you are not new, I hope you know this. None of this makes sense to me. Not any of the stuff that we do in here makes any sense to me if it doesn't make an impact out there. perfect place for the people of God to walk in and make a distinctive, peculiar difference. Not too long ago, uh, and there are a whole bunch of you, I wish I'd had that picture up, I should have, a whole bunch of you came to help us uh, support the Martin Luther King Day Parade. I mean, I think we counted 60 or 80 folks. I mean, it was, it was a whole bunch of folks. The day before, Dad and I went and represented you at a service, a Martin Luther King Day service that's held every year, same place, St. John's Missionary Baptist Church, 
Major Jemison is the pastor there. Pop Reed was there. A lot of you know Pop Reed from Fairview Missionary Baptist. And everybody comes together. And this time, there was a cause. Everybody's raising money for a monument that would permanently memorialize this moment. This moment. When things changed. In fact, here's some more information about it. It was August 19, 1958, when Clara Looper led a sit-in at the Cat's lunch counter. That act would become historic for Oklahoma. I couldn't buy Coke and I couldn't buy a hamburger then because they wouldn't serve me. When Clara Looper organized a sit-in at Cat's drugstore, it wasn't to make history. All the times that we had to get spit on, kicked, talked about ridicule and abuse, was not in vain. Miss Looper attempted to communicate with the drugstore owners by mail for over 15 months before organizing the city. And we decided that we wanted Oklahoma City to be like other places where you are not judged by the color of your skin. Here you have this major event that historically I came to kind of observe had been commemorated in the African-American community, but had absolutely no physical remembrance in downtown Oklahoma City. Today, the city announced the event would be recognized with a sculpture commemorating the historic event. My mother would be joyous to see all the work that she did and all the 26 times she went to jail. The sculpture to be displayed at Main and Robinson in downtown Oklahoma City in the previous location of the Cats Drugstore. And I'm sure Clara Lupe is looking, saying, I don't believe this is happening in my name and my honor. A very proud time for the participants involved in the historic city. But I'm so glad that we came down that night and sat down at Cats Drugstore because when we sat down, Young people all across this nation start standing up. Now the artwork is set for completion in the fall of 2024. In downtown, I'm Mike Glover for Oklahoma Zone News 9. History. So I was able to go and represent you and also take a gift to help promote and support this effort. They're trying to raise about three and a half million dollars for it. And in fact, if you would like to support it, you just let us know. If, you, if you'll send it to us, we'll send it on to them. We, we intend to continue to support, and I hope you're okay with that. And if you're not okay with that, you need to get okay with that. Because this is an outbreak of the kingdom. Does everybody recognize that there is a, there is a deep wisdom at work here that is reminiscent of Scripture? A deep wisdom they sat on those stools. And even when knocked off, when someone would, would put their hands on a child and knock a kid off, their response was not retaliation, it was faithful resistance. And they got back up on that stool. And guess what? Eventually, they were served. And the city changed for the better. Now, we're not done. Everybody know we're not done? But that was an important, important moment. And like I said earlier, it, to me, it's reminiscent of Scripture. And here is the Scripture that I'm talking about. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Hmm. This was said not just in, within communities of faith, but outside communities of faith. It was at one point in human history, somebody's way of saying, hey, let's not destroy one another. Let's try to limit vengeance to an equal sort of uh, cost, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. But Jesus is saying, whether it was the wisdom outside of the faith community or even the wisdom inside of the faith community, there is a better way to unleash the new kingdom that is at work here 
in me, says Jesus. In fact, rather than doing eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, Jesus says, do not resist an evildoer, but if somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. Now, think with me here. This is what is being intended here. There was slavery of all kinds during Jesus' day, right? And at times, you would have these ugly public displays of the, of the slave owner who would treat his slave poorly, sometimes purposely and sometimes very publicly to try to make a point. I'm more than you. And that would take the form of somebody with the back of their right hand striking you, let's say if you were the slave, on the right cheek. And Jesus is saying, listen, this is meant to, uh, to subtract from your humanity and subtract from your dignity, and it's going to work unless you find your humanity and dignity in somewhere else other than your vocation as a slave. And Jesus is saying, if you'll let me, I will grant you dignity and humanity that this person can't take away from you. And here's how we're going to show them. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, then turn the other cheek. It's as if you were saying, listen, you may have struck me as if I was an inferior before, but I'm choosing to let you strike me the next time. And if you hit me again, it's going to be as an equal. Super quiet. Now, I'll say this a couple times today. This is love on display, even for the victimizer. Even for the victimizer, and here's how. First, the person being hit does not kill the person who is doing the hitting, right? Second, what the person here, and it is a victim, I'm not trying to downplay that, but the person who is the victim is giving the victimizer a chance to see what's going on, or at least giving the public around the victimizer a chance to see what's going on. When this person turns the other cheek, it's changing the game. This is no longer an encounter between slave owner and slave. This is an encounter between two people of worth and dignity, because God says so. And the people of God will embody it. That is rough. But it's not, here's what it's not. Hey, you just got to let them beat you to death because, you know, you just got to let them beat you to death. It's more than that. It's more than that. In fact, maybe this will help too. And if somebody wants to sue you and take your cloak, and take your coat, give your cloak as well before we go into the next one. So someone has borrowed money from somebody uh, who wants that money back, takes the, the uh, borrower to court and says, I am going to take your coat. The person who owes the money, the person who owes the money says, well, I tell you what, I, I don't want this to be an improper power situation, so just to demonstrate what's going on here, I'll give you my cloak as well and I'll walk around without clothes so that the public can see what's going on here. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go the second mile. The Roman soldiers, it was within the rights of the Roman soldiers to look at you, scrawny as you might be. And maybe because the Roman soldier wanted to demonstrate that there's this huge power difference, this giant, burly Roman soldier and this little scrawny person that has been asked now to carry that soldier's armor, really heavy. And maybe they actually had, which was within the law, that they could make you carry it for at least a mile and it was humiliating, it was exhausting, it was going to subtract your humanity, unless at the end of that second mile, you say, 
you've not taken anything from me, and to demonstrate it, I'll carry it another mile. Not because you said so, because I said so. Love does not intend, the way that we talk about love, does not intend for you just to be wasted as you suffer. Love, the way we see it best embodied here, intends to make good and powerful use of your suffering such that God might be able to use your suffering to start putting things to rights. There is a deep wisdom, a deep, deep wisdom to what's being said here. It is not just sheer pacifism that somehow glories in my being hit or sued or humiliated. It's something deep. It's something more than that. It, it might involve you being hit or sued or even humiliated, except that in this new economy unleashed in Christ, dignity is not a gift bestowed by a Roman soldier, by a slave owner, by the person with all the money and the power to sue you. Dignity is granted and humanity and personhood is granted by the one who knows you and still chooses you, which unlocks then my capacity to not respond to violence with violence, but to respond with viol to violence with love. And that's when the world changes a little bit. Verse 42, give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. Now, this is, this is crazy talk, too, in a world that seems to value the accumulation of stuff, right? But it's almost as if Jesus is saying here, start to make decisions not based on what's best for you, but what's best for the other and all of creation goes on to say, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. <laughs> but I say to you, love your enemies, this is bizarre, y'all, and pray for those who persecute you. This will reveal that you are children of your Father in heaven. Now, you can probably tell what's happening here. This is someone who is spreading seed. And in one of my favorite sermons I've ever heard, actually, Dr. Green preach, it's this parable of the sower. And what, what has always sort of hit home with me in the parable of the sower is the indiscriminate nature of the seed thrower. Right? It, it's just completely indiscriminate. Some of the, the seed falls on land that's, that's hard land. Some of it falls amongst thorns. And some of it falls in places where the, the, the soil is shallow. But some of it falls in really great places. But here's the thing, and here's what you need to know about the one who is spreading all of this seed, the one who is throwing around all of the seed. Here's what you need to know. Man, that God loves so indiscriminately that he doesn't care about his aim. Right? What would it look like for the people of God to be so secure in who it is that we know that God knows us to be? What would it look like for the people of God to be so absolutely secure in who we are because we are who God sees us to be and not what the slave owner sees us to be, not what the lender sees us to be, 
not what the Roman soldier sees us to be, but we actually had this deep-seated truth that we are, in fact, who God sees us to be so that we could then risk loving everybody else. What might life look like just around you, not in the whole world, just how about just in your arm's reach? What might it look like if you knew beyond any shadow of doubt that not only does God love you, but God unlocks your capacity to love, and that love can change the world a bit. The indiscriminate love of God. God makes a sun rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Do you think God's saving the rain just for the nice people? No, when it rains, it kind of rains on everybody. What would the public think about a group of people who would love as indiscriminately as God does? To follow it up, Jesus says, Look, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even those gross tax, I, I added the word gross, tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, that is not the faith that changes the world. What more are you doing than others? Don't even the non-believers here articulated as Gentiles do the same? And in what probably should be one of the scariest verses of Scripture, <laughs> Jesus goes on to say, here's what I want you to do with your Monday. <laughs> be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, can we talk for a minute about what this isn't? This isn't your perfect performance that God has in mind here. What, what God has in mind here, what Jesus has in mind here, and what I believe John Wesley articulates well for us, what, what is in mind here is not your capacity to not make mistakes, to be in such deep control of your body that your body doesn't make mistakes, that even when you just slam your hand with your thumb with the hammer, you know, right? No, what, what Jesus has in mind here is your capacity to love as you have been loved. In fact, perhaps, and and. The guy I meet with every week is a Greek scholar. And he says, maybe there's a better way to translate this other than be perfect, as if God is pointing at you. It, it is something of a suggestion, even a directive, but it probably should be like this. Be continually in the process of being perfected. Which means, be continually in the process of having your love shaped so that over a period of time, you might have the capacity to love as you have been loved. hoping you would like that more than that. <laughs> Leviticus 19, it's said like this, be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. I don't know what you hear when you hear that word holiness. Maybe you've grown up in an evangelical tradition, and somehow that word holiness for you has something to do with like a, a ritual purity that means that you don't ever touch or say or watch or think something that is less than 100% pure. That is not what's being said here. There are a lot of places in the Old Testament where holiness is embodied by love. The holiness of God embodied by love. A non-scorekeeping, non-coercive love 
that doesn't mete out love in the measure in which I have received it. (laughs) That's the scorekeeping kind. But God loves in ways that should leave all of us, each of us and all of us, a little bit embarrassed (laughs) and awash in gratitude. And it's that gratitude that seems to have the power to grant you capacity to love someone that you might not have loved before. Listen, if all that we do here does not result in you having a greater capacity to love, then we are wasting all of our time here. All of this is meant to grant you a greater and greater and greater capacity to appreciate the love that you have received and then increase the quality of the love that you can then dispense. E. Stanley Jones says it like this, there is no expression of greatness except the expression of great love. We are great only as we are great in love. Without love, greatness is littleness. Love alone is great. How have you been defining greatness? How has greatness been defined for you? Which definition of greatness are you pursuing? Which definition of greatness is pursuing you? I'm not sure what other people mean when they use words like revival or renewal. As your pastor, let me tell you, it only has to do with the capacity to appreciate the love that we've been given. It only has to do with being renewed by that love in the hopes that then we could take our places and be a part of the renewal process for all of the creation around us by that same love. Are you aware of what's going on in Wilmore, Kentucky? For those of you who aren't aware, let me, let me tell you. It is being called, amongst other things, revival. The kind of revival that I have heard people pray for for years. For years. I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday of last week. Somebody got up in a regular school chapel. This is Asbury University, undergrad school in Wilmore, Kentucky. Somebody got up and testified. Young man testified to all the different broken places that he was now willing to give voice to, but was also giving voice to how it is that God had, sw- had God swept in and just taken him up in love, and, and he was now grateful for even his broken places because they were reminders of how much God loved. And then somebody else, and then somebody else, and then somebody else. Then the choir that had sung earlier in the service got back up to sing and buddy it has not stopped since like I I have a dear friend who's on the faculty there and I've been in daily contact with Brian saying like what am I seeing like okay I'm at a distance and I'm a little bit suspicious of what's going on here and he keeps coming back with story anecdotal story after anecdotal story but they all go something like this love is reorganizing people 
Love is reorganizing lives. He told me a story about a, a recent grad. He teaches youth ministry and Christian education. He has a grad who is now working in Georgia. The grad heard about it and came back to see what all was going on, but called his family. His family had been broken for a long time. He called his parents, not been believers, and he just begged them, please just come see what's going on. So the parents met the uh, student or the graduate there at, the, at the, uh, the scene of the revival. And he says within minutes, they were like, what is going on here? And as it was explained to them, they broke. They broke. Now what broke them? Love? Love? Now, I'm still a bit cynical. And I've said to Brian, hey, how are we going to know if this works? And in my mind, he had the right answer. Well, we'll see how many people get fed who aren't getting fed now. We'll see if these people, animated and organized by love, we'll see if this spills over the walls of the university and we start addressing issues in Wilmore, Kentucky. We'll see if more families are united or reunited. We'll see if more lives can experience healing in a way that they hadn't before. We'll see. I think that's the right posture. We'll see. But I tell you what the wrong posture is, the the cynicism that rejects out of hand that God's doing anything because I think people really want to know that they are loved. And I think people actually deep down have some belief that love can do things, love can change things. Now, not just any kind of love, but this kind of love, that this kind of love changes things. I've caught myself praying for renewal here. Is that okay? Now what? has happened a couple times. People have come to Wilmore, Kentucky. They believe that they could just take like a handful of this and go straight back to their own campuses and they've gone, it should work the same way now. But there's been a lot of preparation that's been done to tenderize parts of what is happening now. These folks know what we mean when we say, Dr. Green, habits and practices. There have been a lot of people aching and listening for a long time, hoping, hoping that they would not be a barrier to what it is that God would want to do by God's love. I think renew is possible, and God can do whatever God wants to do, but it seems to me that it's good to make preparation for God to work a work of renewal. It seems to me that we need Lent. It it seems to me that we all, each of us, ought to seriously consider whatever it might be in each of us that might be a barrier to love received, a barrier to love dispensed. It, It might be that the renewal that we're aching for Maybe it comes after the season of preparation that we call Lent. I think, I think this, I don't know what you're doing Wednesday night at 6.30, it's not going to be more important than that. 
I didn't expect to get an amen there either, but, you know. <laughs> Here's a way to say it. Would anybody else like to join me in praying and getting our whole bodies involved in the preparation for renewal? Renewal for individual lives and hearts. Renewal for families. Renewal for whole blocks in a neighborhood. Renewal for a city. Maybe even, y'all, maybe even a denomination. Would anybody else like to join me in dedicating myself to doing the prep work for what I hope will be renewal. Lent is a good time to do it. Wednesday night's a good time to start. One last thing, and if you're coming to help us set the table today to go ahead and come on down. Fridays during the season of Lent, if you decide that a Friday during the lunch hour would be a good time for you to fast, even if it's just for that one meal per week, we're going to have the sanctuary open and a pastor here. It'll be me this, this Friday. I would be happy to be here and pray along with you this prayer, God, prepare us for renewal. God, prepare us for renewal. And each Friday from 12 to 1, somebody will be here, sanctuary open. Somebody will be here to pray that prayer along with you. And now God bless these elements. It's simple bread and cup, but in your hands and with your blessing it becomes so much more. It becomes a tangible reminder of how it is that we have been loved. It is also God in your hands when blessed. It also is the means whereby we are formed and shaped to be a people who can carry out this love. Would you, God, in these moments, give us some idea of what it means to be taken, blessed, broken, and given? In other words, God, would you help us to see the power and the value of the work of preparation in the hope of renewal? In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and exit your pews to your left, all of you who want to. You're not compelled. All are invited, but none are compelled to take communion this way. We call it intinction. But in a moment, if you want to, exit your pews to the left and come forward, hold, and, come forward and approach somebody holding a plate of bread. But come forward with your hands cupped ready to receive this bread as a gift because it is grace and it can't be gotten any other way. It is grace. When you get close enough, somebody will place a piece of bread in your hand and will say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread and then dip it into the cup. Someone standing there will be holding a cup and when you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you and there you will have it a gentle but tangible reminder of our origin story. <laughs> a gentle but tangible reminder that we can actually be the people of God when we remember who God is 
and how God has called us out to be separate, to be different, to be nourished and resourced by this same story of grace each and every week. Now, after you have eaten, I hope you'll find a place to pray. Now, if you come to one of these side padded altars, those are our healing altars, and we'll assume that you are there for prayer for healing, physical, mental, emotional, relational, it doesn't matter. Somebody will meet you there, anoint you with oil, again, symbolic of the tangible presence of God in your life, and we'll pray that prayer for healing. If you would like to pray at one of these benches up here, we won't assume anything except that maybe you too are interested in renewal. And at some point, somebody, probably me, will come by and touch you on the back, the neck, the head, just so you know that you're not alone because you're not alone in aching for renewal. Or you can circle right back around and pray all of these prayers at your seat. It's totally fine. If you'd like to make a special trip down here to this bowl of water, it is meant to remind you of the moment of your baptism. Just dip a couple of fingers into that water and may the chill of the water remind you of the moment that you were absolutely included, included in the best sorts of ways. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, and blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you, and every time you eat of it, remember me. In the same way, after dinner he took the cup, held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. All are invited, none are compelled, but John, do I qualify? If you know that you need this grace, it doesn't matter what you did this morning, this month, this year, you qualify, qualify. So now all across the sanctuary, those who are willing, would you stand to your feet Exit your pews to the left and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God. There is a station at the back if you prefer something a little more contained.